Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next few minutes, would you please stay with me? In just a few minutes of motivation, some inspiration, a lot of education, and always with no manipulation, no con games, no hidden agendas here. We're not trying to sell you anything. We're not trying to hustle any money. We're just trying to give you some accurate biblical truths and introduce you to a way of in-depth studying, in-depth thinking, learning God's Word, all without any type of solicitation. Just 30 minutes of the Word of God Uh, Me trying to verify and identify God's plan for your life, and hopefully, if I can do that, then you will orient and adjust to the plan. So thank you for listening to The Flatline. Twelve years we've been broadcasting across the United States. What an honor, what a privilege it is to be able to do this and to see the grace of God handle all the circumstances that we face on a daily basis. We always love to hear from you. If you have anything you'd like to say, Please don't hesitate to write to me, Rick Hughes, P.O. Box 100. That's Rick Hughes, P.O. Box 100, in the city of Cropwell, Alabama. Cropwell, C-R-O-P-W-E-L-L, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054. That's Rick Hughes, P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054. Or you can go to the website, And drop us an email from the website. I love hearing from you listeners that are learning the Word of God, that are growing in grace, that have been challenged by what you've heard. Thank you so very much for staying in touch. It's one of the ways that we know that our show is indeed being broadcast. We have an issue sometimes with stations that fail to broadcast the show. And if you ever fail to hear the show in your area, don't hesitate to contact us. It's more than likely an error on their part because we haven't dropped any shows, don't intend to drop any shows. So let us know. Right now we're broadcasting in 25 stations across America, the latest being Spokane, Washington, which started last Sunday, and uh, hopefully we'll have a long, wonderful relationship with the folks in Spokane. What I want to talk to you about today is who are you really, the real you. You remember that TV show with the real so-and-so, please stand up. Well, Proverbs 23, verse 7 says this, As a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. And the answer to the question, who are you, or who is the real you, is found in that verse right there. You are the sum total of your thoughts. You're the sum total of what you think. And your image and your style are not the real you. Uh, The real you is the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. That's what exposes the real you. And sometimes people try to cover that up with a style or an image or dressing. You you can take a preacher and put him in a white neck shirt, white turtleneck shirt like a priest, or you can put him in a coat and tie, or you can put him in a pair of blue jeans and a cowboy shirt. Preachers wear all sorts of stuff nowadays in pulpits. But that's not them. What's them is inside their heart, inside their mind, as they really think That's the real, true them. And so God has told us in his word that he has the ability to look not only into the pastor's heart, but into your heart, to be able to discern your very motives and concerning any action that you may take. 
Remember, God gave you a volition as part of your soul, and volition means you have the ability to choose. God did not make you an automaton robot. You have a a choice. And uh, as you make decisions, God can discern the intentions or the motives of why you made that decision. In 2 Chronicles 16.9, the A part of that verse says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards him. And so, yes, God has his eye on you. Uh, That's an anthropomorphism. God doesn't have an eye and he doesn't have a hand. He's eminent and transcendent, but that's a way that we can understand God. We can understand that the omniscience of God always knows what we're thinking. The omniscience of God always knows what our intentions are, what our motives are, and why we do certain things. So when the Bible refers to your heart, well, just what exactly is it referring to? Is it your ticker? I mean, the, the part of you that the doctor says, uh-oh, the, the plumbing's clogged up, or uh-oh, the electrical system's not working right. But when the Bible talks about the heart, it's, it's talking about the invisible, immortal part of you in your soul. You see, your soul possesses mentality. And that's part of the format of your soul, the ability to think, the ability to logic, the ability to reason. And so in the soul resides the mind, M-I-N-D, and the heart, H-E-A-R-T. One being pronounced in the Greek New Testament, the nous, the nous, N-O-U-S, the mind, and the other being pronounced the cardia, K-A-R-D-I-A, cardia, or the heart. And 99.9% of the time when the Bible talks about the heart, it's not talking about the organ. It's talking about the mind. The mind has two lobes, the right lobe and the left lobe. And one lobe, or the, the mind, is where you receive the information, and the other part of the mind is where you apply the information. And so your thinking skills should include things that, uh, that help you in life. Listen, like you should be able to comprehend certain things, comprehension skills. You should have memory retention. You should be able to recall. You should have problem-solving capabilities. I had to solve a couple of problems around the house this morning before I came to the studio, and I had to go to the store, buy some light bulbs, get outside, and replace some outside light bulbs using a problem-solving device called an extension that goes up and gets that thing. So anyhow, we have problem-solving capabilities, decision-making abilities. God gave you the ability to be creative, some of you more so creative than others, and awareness. Those are all thinking skills. And uh, if you combine these thinking skills with the spiritual skills that we talk about on the flat line of your soul, then you have the ability for divine good production. But the thing that short-circuits all of this is called arrogance. Arrogance can short-circuit your awareness skills of who you really are, give you a false image of yourself. That's the dangerous thing about Satan. He was arrogant. Arrogant in heaven and eternity past and assumed that he could rule like God ruled. He's still arrogant today. And the arrogant viewpoint that many people have of their self is an unrealistic self-image. And if you have that unrealistic self-image, you're going to have unrealistic expectations. 
And the best thing you need to understand, if you have an unrealistic self-image about God, if you think God is going to let you into heaven because you're a good person, because you've been nice, because you're moral, then you don't really understand God. And you have this unrealistic self-image of yourself, and you have unrealistic expectations of God, because Jesus Christ, our Lord, in John 14, said this, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no man can come to the Father but through me. And so you can't look at yourself and say, well, basically I'm a good person, therefore God is going to light me and let me come into heaven. The gift of eternal life is based on the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross. He was our substitute. He paid the penalty for our sin. And that's why the Bible says, he that knew no sin was made sin for us, so that we could be made the righteousness of God by means of him. So it's through Christ Jesus that we have redemption. Don't ever forget that. It's not through yourself, because arrogance will tell you that you're a good person. Arrogance will tell you that God likes you. And arrogance will tell you that you're better than other people. That's not necessarily true. You know, very few people ever pull out of arrogance. And the only way to do it is to let the Word of God shed light on the real you. And that's one reason people don't want to hear the Word of God taught. They don't like it. And it, it condemns them for being phony, two-faced, arrogant individuals who live only for their self and not caring who they step on, anyone that gets in their way. Proverbs 24, 1 through 4 warns us about these people. Here's what it says, Don't be envious of evil men, and do not desire to be with them. For their minds devise violence, and their lips talk of trouble. By wisdom a house is built, be why, by wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. And by knowledge the rooms are filled with all the precious and pleasant riches. Three things there, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. These are some phenomenal gifts to you from God the Holy Spirit as you take God's Word and learn it and apply it into your life. You get the wisdom of God's Word that builds a house of understanding in your soul. Understanding in your soul. And that's knowledge. That's understanding what God's plan is, understanding who you are, understanding what God expects out of you, and understanding what you can expect out of God. Understanding uses faith to comprehend issues, faith to apply decision-making abilities. And for example, in John 14, 1 through 6, we have the illustration of those wonderful disciples not really using faith to understand what our Lord was telling them. He comforted his disciples in John 14, 1, and he told them this, because he had been telling them that he was going away. He had been telling them several times that he was going to go to Jerusalem and be killed. And he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. And this is how he comforts them. He said, in my father's house are many dwelling places. And if it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back again and receive you to myself, so that where I am you may be also, and you know the way where I'm going. 
you know the way where I'm going. So here comes Thomas, you know, the doubter. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How could we know the way? And Jesus replied, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. This is the only way to God the Father. You don't come to God the Father through your works. You don't come to God the Father through any other religion. You only come to God through Jesus Christ. These disciples didn't actually comprehend that he was going to Jerusalem to die to start with. They were a little freaked out about that sort of stuff. They were confused about, first of all, where he was going when he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And they had no idea, not even a clue, that they were going to become wanted criminals and that their leader himself would be put to death by the Romans, although he told them on several different occasions. Listen to Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. That's Matthew 16. Then Matthew 20. Now, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside and he said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. I mean, how much more plain could that have been? And yet it just went right over their head. They didn't have a clue. And you know, in your own life, it's easy to sit in church and never really hear what your pastor tells you. Do you know that? It's easy for you to daydream. It's easy for you to be distracted when you're sitting in church. It's easy for you to be deceived and discouraged. How many times do you even take notes? How many times if you go to church, you even write down something the pastor says so that you can go back and read it later and apply it to your life? So the Bible uses a word we call wisdom. Wisdom is the word of God, or, or what I call doctrine, the doctrine that has been learned and the doctrine that has been applied. In other words, the doctrine that's gone through your noose into your mind and you heard it, you understood it, and you cycled it by faith, you believed it, and you applied it into your life, now it's in your heart, and this is where it's called wisdom. Doctrine on the launching pad of your soul is called wisdom. So when you need that doctrine, when you need to get that information, when you need to recall, you go into your heart and you pull up that information. That's where it's stored. It's stored in the memory center of your soul, in your frame of reference of your soul. And so you've got to understand doctrine that has to be learned and it has to be applied. But there can be no growth without application. And there can be no application without you at least trying to learn something. And so if you're going to replace human viewpoint, the thinking of the world, the arrogance of the world, with divine viewpoint, which is the mind of Christ, and you're told in Philippians 2, 5, 
let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. So if you're going to replace your human viewpoint thinking, which will tell you that happiness is involved in people, happiness is involved in the details of life, happiness involved in circumstances, and if you want to remember what Jesus said, happiness belongs to those people, Luke 11, to those people who hear my Father's word and keep it. So, there is no happiness without application, and there's no learning without listening. So replacing human viewpoint with divine viewpoint is a lifelong task. It doesn't happen overnight. It includes replacing arrogance with humility. That's a lifelong task, and that's why 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing. Orthomeo is the Greek word. We get a word orthodontist from that, to straighten out your teeth. We're supposed to be able to straighten out the word of God, rightly divide the word of God. If we're supposed to rightly divide it, is it possible we can wrongly divide it? And the answer is absolutely yes. Yes, you can misapply the Word of God. You can take it out of context. You can claim that it's not really literal, that it's just figurative. And that's not true. The Word of God is literal. It's not figurative. It is true. And you can't take it out of context. You have to know the context of what the Lord was saying or what the writer was saying. So Proverbs 27:19, as water reflects a face, so a person's heart reflects the person. So again, if God wants to check you out, he's not going to look at your hairline. He's not going to look at your style of clothes that you're wearing. He's not going to look at anything except your heart. He's going to look right into your heart, and he's going to see what you're thinking. He's going to see your motives. He's going to see your intentions. He's going to see your desires. He's going to be able to read your thoughts as the omniscience of God can do. So, he can tell what you really like. What you really are is not what you appear to be on the surface. What you really are is what's in your heart, what's in your right lobe. As water reflects a face, so a person's heart reflects that person. Proverbs 27, 19. So that Bible is like a mirror. When you look into the Word of God, you will see what you really are. It will show you your flaws and your failures. In Psalm 26, 1 and 2, the writer wrote these words, Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, because I have trusted in the Lord, and I do not slide into sin. Examine me, O Lord, and test my emotions and my heart. Have you ever asked God to do that? Have you ever asked God to give you a personal examination? That's a prayer you might want to consider. Heavenly Father, test my thoughts. Test my emotions. Test my desires. Test my intentions. Let me know if I'm out of line. Let me know if I'm thinking wrong. You have to understand, that's what the Word of God is there for, to show you where you're right 
and to show you where you're wrong. But if you don't learn it, how can you understand it? And if you don't have wisdom, you have no understanding. Wisdom, understanding, learning are critical in the believer's life. That's why the Bible says we must grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Without spiritual growth, you're never going to understand God's plan. Look, you have a physical life, and, uh, you know, I mean, God gave you a physical life. You're born. You're short, tall, fat, skinny, whatever you are. And that's your physical life, but you have a spiritual life, too. That's a different life. It's not a biological life. It's a soul life. This this the spiritual life. It's where God, the Holy Spirit, comes to live inside of you. And in the spiritual life, that's where the content of the heart comes in handy. Because it's what's in the heart that guides and controls the spiritual life. And we know that you have an old sin nature in your physical life. And we know that he doesn't want your spiritual life to assume control of your body. And so the old sin nature is going to tempt you, trick you, try you, test you. Anything it can do to take control, it doesn't want to surrender control. But you are told in the Bible, walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. You're told in the Bible the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit wars against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. You're told in the Bible in Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the spirit. And so the secret to the Christian life is really simple. It's to stay filled with the Holy Spirit by means of the rebound technique, confessing any sin that may be in your life, admitting it to God, not hiding it, to rebound when you sin and recover your spiritual momentum and to get yourself under the ministry of a well-qualified pastor who can teach you God's word consistently on a daily basis, not once a week, not twice a week, every day. You say it's not possible. Yes, it is. It's possible every day for you to sit down with your Bible, with a notebook, with a cup of coffee or a glass of water or whatever, and take notes as you listen to men teach you the Bible. There are a lot of great pastors I know of. A lot of them study and teach and study and teach, and their messages are available free of charge. There's enough for you to learn. And from my own pastor who's teaching the life of Christ, I just studied Lesson 1092 this morning. 5 a.m., 1,092 hours into the life of Christ. Now, you want to listen to that? I'll tell you how to do it and get in touch with me. But you have to be consistent. You have to sit down on a daily basis and take in God's Word. I mean, don't you sit down every day and eat? Don't you sit down every day and have a meal? You couldn't survive without doing that in your physical life. And your spiritual life will be malnourished if you don't sit down daily and take in God's word. And that's where the arrogance comes in and tells you you don't need to. It distracts you. It decoys you. You get delayed. And uh, next thing you know, you've gone two days, three days, and you haven't studied at all. You haven't listened You haven't sat down. You haven't got your Bible. You haven't got your notebook. You haven't sat down and listened to the Word of God being taught to you. If you don't do that, you don't grow. You don't grow. You just keep going backwards. You're losing ground. 
And you've been losing ground a long time. So that's why I'm giving you this message, because God's looked into your heart. God can see what you're thinking. And it's a lot of games. You're playing games at church. You're playing something that you're not, and you know it. You're not what they think you are, are you? Listen to what the man in the glass says. It's an anonymous author. He penned this poem, and I'm going to read it to you. I don't really know who wrote it. It says anonymous. But I want you to listen to those words very carefully. It's called The Man in the Glass. When you get what you want in your struggle for self, and the world makes you the king for a day, go to the mirror and look at yourself and see what that man has to say. For it isn't your father or your mother or your wife whose judgment upon you must pass. The fellow whose verdict counts the most in your life is the one who stares back from the glass. Some people might call you a straight-shooting chum and call you a wonderful guy, but that man in the glass says you're only a bum if you cannot look him straight in the eye. He's the fellow to please, never mind all the rest, for he's with you clear to the end, and you have passed your most dangerous test if the guy in the glass is your friend. You might fool the whole world down the pathway of years and even get pats on the back as you pass, but your final reward will be heartaches and tears if you cheat the man in the glass. And that's you. No one can answer but you. Who is the real you? Your conscience will convict you today of sin, of wrongdoing in your life. That's what it's there for. The ministry of the Holy Spirit uses your conscience to reveal your flaws and your failures but your volition makes a decision to do something about it. You must act on your volition. You must act on what you know and what you hear. You can't hide from it. You can't act like everything's okay. You must go to the Father and admit your sin. And he said he will be faithful and just to forgive you. And I'm not saying that there's this horrible sin in your life. What I'm saying is there's the sin of neglect. There's the sin of putting God second place. There's the sin of failing to advance spiritually in the plan of God and being caught in the world's distractions. And we use it as an excuse all the time. There's just not enough time in the day. I've got so much to do. I understand. But Matthew 6, 6 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. And it's talking about priorities. Unless you make your spiritual life your priority, your physical life will end in failure. I promise you. I hope you're listening. I hope you will consider these things. And I hope you'll come back next week. Until then, this is your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for listening to The Flatline. Thank you for listening to The Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.